Hi everyone and welcome to the second episode of Advocacy Fashion and Beyond Voices from the SI Leader Lab a podcast brought to you by Feminism in India in collaboration with the Swedish Institute I'm your host Jyotinka Srichya and today we are talking about how to counter gender based disinformation and why it's important for democracy and with me I have two guests so first let me introduce Noura Aljizawi from uh, Syria she's a researcher at the Citizen Lab at Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto her fo- her research focuses on the intersection of information and communication technology human rights and global security she studies digital uh, translational repression disinformation and digital authoritarianism previously she was an active member of the syrian opposition and played a key role in geneva peace talks 2014 she's also the co-founder and the chairwoman of startpoint an organization that works in syria and focuses on supporting victims of torture and empowering women and youth to enhance democracy and civil rights noura is also an alumni of the young leaders visitors program offered by the swedish institute as well as a participant of the digital advocacy lab Hi Noura and welcome. How are you feeling today? Hi, thank you so much. I'm excited to start. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks Noura. We are also very excited uh to be here with you. And uh now I would like to introduce my second guest, Hira Amjad from Pakistan. Hira is the co-founder and executive director of Dastak Foundation. and has been working to eradicate gender-based violence and promote women's rights across Pakistan since 2014. She has worked on gender-related subjects with the US Embassy and UNDP and especially with survivors of violence during the COVID-19 lockdown. Hira was awarded the Human Rights Award by Geneva in 2021 for her work through initiatives such as Wasila and Tabeed Network. She is also an alumni of the SI Leader Lab. Hi Hira, how are you doing today? Hi, thank you so much for having me here today. Uh it's always great to talk about the work that we are doing here in Pakistan on GBV prevention. So thank you for having me. Thanks Hira and uh Noura, I would like to begin with you. Uh given that you know your work is based in uh research, I would like to understand what would you say are the biggest patterns in uh you know gender-based disinformation? Um yeah in summary it's it's absolutely an attack on democracy uh it's digitalized like in somehow it everything is going on uh, all kind of gender based violence that takes place against women on offline in real life you can find them on digitalized on the social media platforms um unfortunately we can't separate what's going on like online gender based violence from the offline gender based violence and in both uh whether online or offline the lives the, the civic rights of the lives of women are under attack but moreover if we want to talk about the the impact of these attacks or this kind of gender based violence online we can talk about or what now it's becoming more the terminology is being used the gender dis, uh, disinformation it's you can it's not random act you can absolutely find the uh inauthentic coordinated behavior you can find absolutely if want to dig more about the social networks that's running running these kind of disinformation campaigns targeting women who are activists human rights defenders feminists uh politicians peacemakers journalists you can absolutely find the uh, the roots of uh, or the the manipulated uh, accounts of these uh, campaigns and all of these people are definitely connected to whether uh, misogynist groups or uh, authoritarian regimes or other uh, militias uh, if we're going to talk about the uh, the conflict zones uh but moreover which is like something appear a lot of, uh, in my research as i'm studying with my colleagues the digital transnational repression that even like when women uh, are exiled <clears throat> from their country of origin and resettle in democracy assuming that they have relatively degree of uh, safety 
they find themselves again under such attack and their ability to practice their essential civic rights, freedom of expression, freedom of opinion, um, they will be undermined because the authoritarian regimes are taking the advantage of these digital tools and social media platforms and other kind of sophisticated digital technology surveillance to undermine the, uh, the democracy and to discredit the uh, exiled activists. So whether in the country of origin or beyond the borders of these country of origins, authoritarian regimes are still targeting the female activists, likewise the other dissidents. But in specific, when it comes to the uh, to women, uh, the the attack, uh, disinformation, and online uh, campaigns would be like shape in different or in very specific uh, manners, um, and we can definitely talk about it more. Thanks, Noura. And, you know, I completely agree with you. Uh, online gender-based violence is an epidemic. And I feel that all stakeholders involved, be it states, be it social media platforms, uh, be it uh, civil society organizations, have to really take it seriously. And I would just like to give you an example from a news that uh, that is very relevant uh, in, our, in my country today. Uh, there was a case of uh, some men creating fake profiles of Muslim women in, in India and uh, selling them online. And just today, we got to know that the, uh, the court has, um, you know, granted all of them bail. Like this is, this is the news coming in today. They were found, uh, you know, guilty and they have been granted bail by the court. And it's just so disappointing to see, uh, you know, how little governments and other stakeholders uh, think of, uh, you know, women's lives, especially uh, women from marginalized uh, groups. And, uh, you know, speaking of this, uh, Hira, I believe that India and Pakistan share a very similar culture and very similar issues when it comes to uh, violence against women and especially online violence against women. Uh, since your organization works on gender-based uh, violence, uh, you know, across Pakistan, I would like to know more about um, how you do that. Yeah, and if you could give me examples of, you know, advocacy campaigns uh, where you have worked on or uh, where you have created safe spaces for uh, survivors of violence. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for this uh, very important uh, question. But first of all, I would definitely like to, uh, you know, take cue from what Nora said that gender-based discrimination is is targeted and systematic and planned. Uh, it's not random. And I have seen cases where, where women have been targeted with strategically designed campaigns from, you know, various platforms and profiles. And this makes the work that we are doing to create online spaces very difficult. Uh, so uh, the Silk Foundation is working on multiple fronts, but since today we are here to talk about uh, gender disinformation, especially within online spaces, so I'm going to focus more on the online work or the digital advocacy vis-a-vis -vis gender based violence that we are doing here in Pakistan. Uh, so why did we start the Silk in the first place? I think there, there is this like, um, uh, as I've already, uh, you know, told you during our candid conversation as well, that there is a strong need to have safe spaces of expression where women feel comfortable to talk about their problems, to talk about their issues. We have conducted massive, uh, you know, healing circles on sexual and reproductive health rights, SGBV prevention in different parts of the country, not just with women, but also with men, because Abdasak uh, strongly believes that countering gender-based violence cannot be done solely by working with women, but also uh, creating male allies at community level. So when we are working within digital spaces, and we face gender-based discrimination, gender-based disinformation and violence, it undermines the support and solidarity that takes us years and years to create and build. Because you see safe networks in the form of Facebook groups, in the form of Instagram pages, in the form of uh, you know chat uh, uh, sessions or 
uh, online sessions they do not just happen overnight it takes us months and years to build those conversations to dig up subjects where we can encourage more and more survivors to feel comfortable to feel related like uh, for example um, uh, we did this activism campaign last year when there was this case in pakistan where a mother was raped uh, on a motorway like uh, i think it it was picked up by international media as well and uh, we saw like a massive influx of victim blaming across social media platforms where instead of talking about the issue itself i saw a men women alike talk about what was she doing there why didn't she see that coming what was she doing why didn't she plan it all etc etc so instead of talking about the crime or the perpetrator the person who was responsible for it we immediately resort to victim blaming so these networks of support and solidarity that we my organizations other organizations like the stuff that they create in such times they come really handy vis-a-vis resetting the narrative vis-a-vis you know putting across the right information that victim blaming needs to stop the blame needs to be put on the perpetrator rather than the survivor so uh, the sak foundation uh, last year did this activism campaign with the hashtag i choose to stand with the survivor of violence and uh, it was picked up by national media and it created uh, it was able to break this narrative of disinformation around the subject of victim blaming in our country we were able to you know create this change of constructive conversation that why we need to support the survivors or stand in solidarity with them similarly we have been, we have done uh, other massive campaigns uh, on 16 days of activism international women's day to bridge this information gap that exists between survivors and support avenues in the country because during the covid pandemic when we saw a massive increase in cases of domestic violence massive complaints we we kept on receiving them through our social media platforms so women in pakistan particularly did not know how and where to seek help and that's where these social support avenues or platforms such as the sak foundation can can you know play a very integral role in connecting them with the right support avenues so uh, that's a little bit of the work uh, that we are doing but uh, i would be happy to uh, continue uh, in the follow up questions thanks hira thanks so much uh, i i completely uh, understand where you're coming from safe online spaces are so important and especially you know in the new world uh, as everyone calls it that we live in today where where it's where it's a digital first world and a lot of grassroots communities also had to come online schools uh, had to come online uh, you know during the pandemic online safe spaces uh, just become so integral and it's really daunting to know uh, and i have been myself uh, you know uh, a victim of online abuse to the extent where i had to deactivate my twitter profile for months just because it it was so um aggravating on my mental health um and uh noora i believe you have also uh, worked on this aspect of uh, what disinformation and online abuse uh, you know how it impacts uh especially women and survivors of violence and you know apart from uh, the mental health aspect of it i would like to know more from you how does it uh, actually uh, you know put women at risk both uh, of physical safety as well as uh, mental health issues and what can we as allies or you know as um, as as civil society organizations or stakeholders can do uh, to counter this or to help those uh, survivors thanks so much for raising this uh, issue as you both mentioned that in in many uh, contexts the cybersphere is becoming in somehow alternative sphere where the marginalized communities and women uh whether in their country of origin or beyond the borders can express themselves can participate in the public discourse about the uh, about the 
the public issues of their communities and countries. However, talking about the impact of these disinformation campaigns or gender disinformation campaigns targeting women along with other, uh, absolutely other uh, digital targeting methods, they have severe impacts on women in specific. Talking, starting like from the mental health, where it's going to be a lot of women, as you did, uh, they would maybe deactivate their accounts just to stay disconnected from the uh, from the hate speech and all of this kind of disinformation. Especially like if we talk about the nature, the language is being used in these uh, in these disinformation against women uh, are not something to create uh, discussion or to raise questions or to disagree with the women work and opinions, they are more smear campaigns. Uh, a lot of uh, like fabricated photos and a lot of uh, fake uh, images of these women and a lot of just everything has the roots of the topic of women's body and their uh, sexual life and so on, which is something, unfortunately, it's still in somehow it's still like a taboo in many uh, communities so women what would not only when they are when they become victims of uh, gender disinformation they are not only targeted on the uh, in the cyber space deactivating social media accounts in many uh, cases will never be a solution uh, or like the only one solution Many women reported that besides the online uh, attacks that they've been under uh, disinformation campaigns, the, uh, they've been targeted also in their real life. So their own physical safety and security was threatened. Uh, and absolutely, it will impact them mentally, uh, as also they reported in, in many uh, interviews we conducted. Uh, like paranoia, anxiety, depression, and that also the, the, all of these impacts on their mental health will have other impacts on their physical health. Again, it's targeting the well-being of these active members of the community. And by like, consequently, it will uh, affect their ability to study, their ability to be productive, their ability to participate or to do their work properly, or their ability to take care of their families and loved ones. Uh, many women also reported how they feel like in the real life, how they feel socially isolated, whether because the uh, gender disinformation campaigns was based on misogyny and tried to play, the, it was organized and uh, based on the uh, taboos in the communities. So the, again, as Hira mentioned, these women as victims will be blamed by the community. In many cases, I talk with myself, uh, also I experienced some of these. I had my own share of these uh, gender disinformation campaigns. Uh, like, likewise, other uh, Syrian women uh, who dare to involve in politics or speak something about it against the uh, the uh, policies of the regime and authoritarian, authoritarianism uh, or against the, uh, the crimes of Russia in our country, against our people. So many of, in many cases, we've been uh, blamed. Okay, you have an opinion, don't post it. Okay, is that the solution? Absolutely not. And then, day by day, women who who involve in, in, in politics and public affairs, they will feel themselves like in the social life, in the real life, very much isolated. Some people who are not willing, as Hira mentioned also, to engage with these women online, they will start even like declining to engage with them in offline and real life. Because, not because... I, I don't want to dig more about the, the mentality of these people and what kind of motivation they have, but some of these people will feel like afraid of being targeted again just because they have any kind of association with this woman. But definitely some of them would be uh, sadly consumers of these disinformation campaigns and they will join the, the crowd of blaming uh, the woman instead of uh, showing solidarity and uh, supporting them. 
So the I, in, in summary, I feel like the, the severe impacts are not only on, on the online, on the uh, decline of women and uh, when they started withdrawing from the uh, online uh, discussion about the uh, what's going on in their country, but also everything will be will have impact on their lives, whether on their relationship with their families and partners and loved ones whether in the impact on their ability to work, to study, to be productive members in their communities, and also uh, they, uh, their personal, their sense of personal safety and security. There's a lot of cases worldwide, and uh, unfortunately, what's going on in India and Pakistan, uh, it's still like, it's becoming global uh, phenomen- phenomenon, uh, in, in the light of that, the, uh, the fact, the painful fact about the lack of response from the social media companies who are, uh, although they can and they, uh, they realize such, uh, such campaigns or such networks of uh, trolls or uh, inauthentic behaviors, but instead of involving or doing something to respond to these uh, networks, they just watch for many reasons. Many of them don't have uh, humans to verify or to check the, uh, the report. They, and also everything is becoming on the victims themselves. If you are under attack, you should report to the social media company. And if you are lucky to have a human to review your report and the content that's attacking your safety, attacking your well-being, it, it might take days and the, the discourse will be like running all the time against you and in many cases as many as the painful experience of one, many women who reported such uh, violent content uh, the response would be very much disappointing that we 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 don't think that this account is violating the rules of safety and security on our platforms so the women again are being uh, alone fighting alone and uh, becoming more and more isolated in the uh, in the digital space and also in the real life. Noura, I don't know which point I should pick up because you have made such great points and I was just nodding to everything that you were saying because this is, as I said, it's a global epidemic. I don't think there is any women's rights activist in any, you know, corner of the world who has not experienced uh, online abuse and gender-based disinformation because she's putting her opinion online. And it's across cultures, regions, countries. It's everywhere. And... I completely agree on the part that social media platforms do not do the required work that they are supposed to. They don't have enough people to review. Their priorities are not set on uh, protecting uh, survivors of abuse or ensuring that their platform is abuse-free. I know that's a, uh, that's, that's a very ideal situation. But, um, you know, speaking of uh, safe spaces online, Hira, I would like to come back to you and uh, uh, ask you how, how does your organization, like what are the strategies or uh, how, how do you ensure within your groups that your um, that the, that the groups are, uh, you know, safe or that you create safety within the groups. And if you could give uh, examples of any disinformation campaigns uh, that uh, you may have uh, executed or how you would deal, how you deal with disinformation um, in such groups. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for pointing that out. Um, okay, so the entirety of the work that the Sikh Foundation is doing is based on countering misperception related to gender-based violence in Pakistan and South Asia as well because we have a regional network which is called Tabir um, uh, as part of which we are advocating the use of digital media platforms to strengthen gender-based violence prevention in different countries. Uh, we all must have heard this uh, statement that if it isn't physical, it isn't violence. 
if you don't see it you do not believe it and that is something that we really really struggle with uh, when we are doing community engagement workshops with students at universities colleges and school because you see countering uh, violence violence within digital spaces is directly connected to the work that we are doing at community level so the work that we are doing online is directly connected with the work that we have to do at community level in order to raise awareness and counter disinformation regarding the extent of gender based violence that exists within our societies because you see in pakistan and i'm sure this is a problem that we face either across the globe and particularly in south asia that there is this lack of acceptance that gender based violence is our problem um on our platform whenever we post something related to the prevalence of gender based violence or gender based disinformation uh we like 80 70 to 80% of the comments actually talk about that this is not our problem this is a propaganda we are trying to uh, you know uh, we are trying to misguide the women and most of the time uh, the criticism also comes from the religious perspective or religious factions within our society as well they use religion to counter the prevalence of gender based violence or the information that we are trying to disseminate so first of all what dastak is trying to do is we are trying to educate youth within schools universities and colleges regarding ways and means to identify cyber crime violence within digital spaces and how to report that and trust me uh, very recently last month I-, i was doing this activity with around 50 students at one of the most prestigious universities and we have produced a couple of short films on cyber harassment so after the film i asked all of the students do you know how to report cyber harassment and unanimously all of them said no we don't know that we don't know whom to reach out to we don't know what are the support avenues we don't know what is the name of the agency that is supposed to you know uh, cater to the problems which are pertaining to cyber harassment within digital spaces so one what we what dastak is trying to do is we are trying to bridge this information deficit secondly we are trying to work with respective organizations to speed up the reporting process as nora also mentioned that even if we report we do not get the Uh, the, the 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 kind of support or the response that is needed dastak has also worked with facebook during international women's day campaign to monitor uh, you know spam and hate comments that you would see on the profiles of women rights activists and feminist activists on social media platforms particularly facebook and instagram you see uh, i understand that uh, uh, you know the work that they're doing is not enough but what uh, we as civil society can do is support them in order to uh, you you see rectify the problem of trolls which are present online and we ourselves have experienced this massively especially during 16 days of activism international women's day menstrual hygiene campaigns whenever we do something like targeted programming to counter disinformation related to gender based violence we have this flood of bot accounts that who would comment things like uh, you know abusive language we, me and my team we have also received death threats from um, men from different parts of the country as well so uh, you see a we we are working at community level to counter the information deficit and b we are working with platforms such as meta and fia to 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 you know come up with or strategize better ways on how to make online spaces safe for feminist activism women human rights defenders and people who are working on gender based violence prevention i think uh, again i know i'm going to repeat myself by saying this is a global statistic because i've been saying that throughout the podcast but um, we we all know that domestic violence and gender based violence increased during the pandemic where women many times were living with their abusers and they had no other place to go where uh and especially in 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 a country like india where marital rape is not even recognized as a crime uh there we don't have data of uh how many uh women living with their abusers or married women uh faced this kind of uh 
you know sexual violence and it's just really um, pathetic to know that we we live in a in a we live in a society in a situation where there is only little that the people who are who should be responsible for our safety our security have done very less and uh, nura my next question is for you uh, knowing that you have worked substantially on countering this information how do you think the pandemic has uh, accelerated the sharing of unverified information and do you think enough steps have been taken to counter it oh thanks so much for raising this point actually everything ha- happened during the pandemic related to the uh, access to information the rights of people to access to information is uh, related to what what was going on before the pandemic but the pandemic accelerated and uh, maybe exaggerated the the impact and uh, raised people awareness worldwide about the uh, the issues first of all when you talk about the uh, the pandemic absolutely it was reported worldwide the uh, the disinformation campaigns against maybe about the coronavirus pandemic the uh, and then the uh, about the vaccine the credibility of the vaccine and so on but the when we talk also about the impact on the targeted communities specifically in countries where <clears throat> under authoritarianism where citizens don't have access to uh, independent or proper sources of information to to understand or to uh, to go to to take the, the valid information it's it's a great it's a greater impact than other contexts when when people can have a source of information they can trust and verify what they are reading on social media and on whatsapp groups but this is one of the problems the other problem is the uh, the inequality in access to information and access to internet and devices in many countries worldwide i'm talking about my experience working with the uh, with the idps in syria and specifically in the in the northwest where the we conducted prior to the pandemic the start point conducted an, a survey uh, it was uh, like field survey and the about women accessibility to devices and internet 90% of women who part, who responded to our survey reported that whether they, they don't have independent uh, devices to access to internet like about five, 50% of them they share the devices with a male member in their household talking about a, a conflict zone and and idps uh, idp camps 90% or 90, 92% of women they said they don't have access to internet to, so all of these issues together tell us something about how women would be like more severely impacted by the disinformation because the disinformation about coronavirus pandemic and about the the vaccine were not only taking place online but the discussion was also taking place on in the in the day-to-day life and in people's uh, offline life and social life and so on so this is a huge issue that maybe the uh, the world will learn the lesson about to advocate and work more on the accessibility to devices and internet besides absolutely the uh, the access the right of uh, the right to access to independent information and to access to information because talking about syria it's a country under authoritarianism and uh, besides the different de facto authorities that's ruling the the country but uh, all of them they practice the same uh, methods of censorship and manipulation of the uh, discourse online about the country so again this was the 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 issue therefore the team when uh, when i've been talking with the uh, when uh, with the volunteers in our team on the ground they they proposed that okay we have centers we can take some measures to protect people uh, masks sanitizers and so on and there's absolutely in idp camps you can't impose uh, uh, lockdown 
So people would have access to some kind of public spaces, whether it's uh, outdoors gathering or access to start point centers. And then uh, I started working along with my colleagues to send them valid information from <clears throat> trusted sources about the pandemic. We tried also to track the uh, the pattern of uh, disinformation and misinformation around the pandemic. Uh, so we counter and somehow we did like some kind of fact check. You might hear online or offline about specific issue against the, or around the vaccine, but this is these are the facts about the vaccine, X, Y, Z. And we encourage a lot of people to, to commit to the uh, at least the some kind of the protection measures like masks like uh, sanitizer and then the uh, the population uh, in the uh, in the idp camps who showed up to the vaccination centers they were like relatively great because of the the work and i believe that the work was the value of uh, of the work that it was one only one example it was not only online work but it was also offline Online, we collaborated with other partners. We used to refer people who used to text us, uh, reach out to us on our social media uh, pages and accounts that you can check the facts here. These are the facts. But what about the people, the most vulnerable ones who are consuming the disinformation offline or they don't have proper access, long time access to, to the internet and devices to check the facts and make their own evaluation? So this is only one kind, but I also would like to connect this to how we can counter the gender disinformation. I believe, I'm not optimistic here because I can't see that the fact check is an effective tool to counter the gender disinformation, unfortunately, because uh, of many reasons, including that the vast majority of communities they don't trust the credibility of women to take leadership roles in the public uh, sphere. This is like a battle we've been uh, involving and we've been fighting on, on the ground to create spaces to women to take leadership roles in their communities and to play a crucial role in the, in the politics and public affairs of their communities and countries. So this gender disinformation is just another uh, another front uh, therefore I don't believe that the fact checking and similar methods we uh, would be taken to respond to the uh, disinformation uh, the, in the, during the pandemic would be effective tools and specific to counter the gender disinformation rather it could be like maybe one aspect but definitely I believe that the the response would be absolutely broader and uh, requires a lot of collaboration and solidarity from uh, activists and feminists worldwide, along with other measures. We can talk about them later. You know, Noura, I have a very uh, similar story to tell you. So uh, even in India last year, when the vaccine was rolled out, there was a social media post that went viral that women shouldn't take the COVID-19 vaccine five days before their periods are about to start because it will lower their immunity or something like that. And you won't believe how many people actually believed it, how quickly the post went viral. Uh, but thankfully, a lot of doctors came forward to bust this myth. They came forward on social media, they talked to the press, uh, uh, news media covered it. But even then, uh, you know, we even, even though India doesn't have, uh, you know, that huge a percentage of vaccine naysayers or people who, who would, you know, uh, who would deny getting the vaccine, but uh, it's like how WhatsApp forwards work, you know, uh, it's very difficult to uh, reach them and to explain them and, and explain the, the logic behind it because already uh, in, in India, menstruation is such a huge taboo topic uh, 
and coupled with the covid-19 uh, and the vaccine was just a huge mess at that time and i think even the government came forward on twitter to talk about that this is just a myth and you know this is not true but just shows how a like a simple post can do so much damage uh, that so many women uh did not want to take the vaccine because they believed in it or or as you also mentioned earlier that um many times women don't even have their own mobile phones or you know other uh, devices like a laptop and that's the same situation in india a lot of women do not own mobile phones so uh so decisions like these are then also taken by the men in the house of if and when you can get the vaccine and it's just so dangerous because uh, the second wave in covid uh the second wave of covid in india was disastrous it was uh, very fatal and just you know the amount of we don't even know how many lives were lost uh because the government refuses to uh you know the the, the government uh, shows a data which somehow just doesn't reflect the ground reality and uh here i would i would like to know more because you mentioned uh that uh, your organization also um worked during covid on uh you know preventing gender based violence uh, i would like to know more about it as well as um you know how, how do you think uh, that the covid-19 pandemic has once again raised the question of focusing on gender data and gender specific recovery plans okay so you you see um, as uh, nora was talking so i was just thinking that it is really important to ask ourselves this question that why why this you know a uh, spread of this information happens or takes place in the in the first place like why why do uh, you know there are there are factions in our society or around us who try to hijack this narrative uh, what is the need to do that and it's a very important question that we keep asking ourselves when we are designing campaigns and projects at dastak foundation so during covid pandemic just like everywhere else in the world we received a lot of complaints of intimate partner violence we received massive complaints of marital rape like uh, you see a lot uh, uh, although uh, there was an exacerbation of reported cases of violence but i also observed this realization among survivors that they are being subjected to violence within their households and there is something that needs to be done about it because you see before pandemic um this used to be a part of everyday life where people would get to go out of the house and um they would experience violence but not to an extent where they would feel ready to do something about it but during the covid in closed spaces women realized the extreme form of violence that they were experiencing and that compelled them to reach out to support mechanisms uh so a, a obviously we we connected them with essential services we we like formed this we signed mous with different organizations that were providing mental health support legal support and shelter home support to survivors of gender based violence so uh, and we launched this helpline in collaboration with ministry of human rights which was active throughout the covid pandemic which dealt with cases of gender based violence simultaneously uh uh we also wanted to create or maybe give power to women human rights defenders to come up with counter narrative to this disinformation that was spreading everywhere in terms of reporting of gbv in terms of realizing what gender based violence is so we launched we launched this network which was called tabir network but as part of tabir we did multiple series of online sessions with lawyers with psychologists with um mental health providers in which from time to time weekly we 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 gave a uh, women information on how to identify violence how to report violence how to be an effective bystander if you see someone around you experiencing violence and how to report that how to extend your support to someone simultaneously uh, we also launched this digital platform which was called vasila so on vasila we compiled like uh, you could say 
all sorts of information that could help and facilitate a survivor of gender-based violence and put it on a digital platform. We fact-checked that information. It had all the gender-based violence laws from the country. It had ways and means on how to report uh, workplace harassment, how to report cyber harassment, how to report domestic violence, how to report rape. So um, earlier, when we, when we would receive the call, vis-a-vis reporting of violence from any one of the survivors. So people also do not know how to act differently while experiencing different form of violence. So they need to be told that in the case of an acid attack, you are supposed to go to the hospital. If somebody is experiencing, uh, you know, uh, cyber harassment, different organization, entity or authority deals with that. You're not supposed to go to the police station. So that's where Dastak's work actually tried to make a difference where we informed and educated people regarding the proper course of action and how it can be taken timely and how the response time in terms of gaining the right kind of support can be minimized. Uh, so basically, through Vasila and Tabir, these were the two core programs that we launched and we did during the COVID pandemic to facilitate the survivors of gender-based violence from the platform of the Stuck Foundation. Uh, thank you, Hira. Uh, it's really inspiring to hear all the amazing things that you and your organization did uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic to help uh, women survivors of violence. And I would definitely ask our listeners to check out these platforms. And we will add links um, in the description box later. Yeah, um, and I would also like to share with all of you very candidly, although now I can talk about it lightly because it happened like four months ago. But when we launched Vasila as a platform, so it had like directories of legal aid, psychological support, mental health services from across Pakistan, and a lot of information related to gender-based violence. So we started receiving a lot of threats. And uh, after we had launched it back in 2020, uh, like after 18 months, the entire website was hacked, our data was deleted, and we we were just like, we received a lot of emails and threats in the form of comments and stuff like that. So um, right now, with support from Geneva, we are in the process of rebuilding Vasila all over again, trying to put all the data back on the platform, and we did not give up. But this also happened, like uh, uh, because we launched this platform, which was supposed to support survivors of gender-based violence. So I just wanted to share with you that the work that we are doing it comes along with a lot of challenges, and sometimes it's not easy. But what is important is that we do not give up and believe in the work uh, that we are doing. Definitely, definitely agree. And uh, it's I'm so sorry to hear that, you know, the website was uh, hacked and taken down. But I really hope that you are able to. And if you ever need any help, uh, please do let me know. This is on a personal <laughs> basis. Not. Uh, and now, I, as we are uh, to, uh, nearing the end of our podcast, I actually have a fun question for both of you. And I would like you to take just you know it's a rapid question so i would really like a quick answer so since uh, both of you uh, were part of the swedish institute's programs uh, is there any moment from the program that you would like to share with us which was important to you or which was like an aha moment uh, a lot of our uh, listeners would be alumni and also maybe you know uh, prospective uh, swedish institute uh, participants so i think it would be fun to hear for them uh how was your experience uh what was your aha moment when i joined the um, swedish institute in sweden back in 2017 i was pregnant so you can imagine the amount of love that my <laughs> my daughter guaranteed and i still like i I gave birth after six months or so, but uh, we still have the uh, the love letters were written by the other uh, colleagues uh, there to her. And yeah, even like when I was with them, uh, how they were coming just close to me and 
were saying, can we whisper to her something? We love her so much. And then I always tell her, like, you are so lucky because you met all of these people from around the world. Where all of them are great, inspiring, doing a lot of amazing work. And on one day, you will join them because these people are <laughs> your, you are connected to them spiritually and on one day you will do a lot of great work with them hopefully in the future so i i believe like i had a lot of great moments and i'm still having a lot of warm memories from my experience with swedish institute but this one was like i i, I think it's the the closest one to my heart when whenever, whenever i yeah whenever i think about it i feel like it warms my heart and i feel like um we are loved we are part of this love and solidarity uh network of uh, of everyone was uh, there in <laughs> that's so sweet thank you for sharing noora and hira now over to you uh thank you so uh, obviously the 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 part the leader lab that i was a part of was remote because it happened during the pandemic so alongside the digital fikas which were really amazing and uh Uh, the sessions on DBV. Uh, I think uh, after listening to Nora, I remember between the time that I got selected to when actually it started, I had a fracture in my right foot, so I was severely unwell. And uh, I remember having this email conversation where I thought that I might not be able to do it, but then the team at SI was really cooperative and they were so amazing that uh, uh, even though I was unwell. and uh, emotionally not in the right place but we pulled it off because of the support that i received from my group because we had like uh, some closed advocacy groups in the in the si lab and then the team and uh, uh, the participants uh, you know as a whole so uh, yeah uh, i thought that i wouldn't be able to do it but i pulled it off and during the si lab my foot got better and uh, i got well when we were graduating so uh, it's a strong reminder of uh, what i went through but pulled it off because of the support of the si team and hira will be in stockholm for the advocacy lab in september and that's also when this podcast will be launched so everyone uh, watch out for hira uh, <laughs> thank you both for sharing so much um as we are at the end of this episode i am really so grateful to both of you for joining with me today and sharing your stories and your journeys of advocacy and change and next week we will be back with another episode on mental health and wellness and activism stay tuned and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform bye